Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. What a beautiful song. What do we really have to offer to him? It's not already his anyway. On the offset, before we jump in, you'll find our passage. Actually, I'll give you this while you're turning there. You'll find our passage in Mark chapter 12. I invite you to Turn in your copy of the Word of God to Mark 12. I would like to say on behalf of Pastor, thank you very much for the continued prayers. He said he's on the up and up. Continue to pray for him. Uh, healing for him and Krista both. And uh, protection for Miss Kay that she'd not get sick. And that they'd not uh, get any sicker. But he wanted me to relay to you thank you. And I would like to say thank you to those who... Came out yesterday to make Upwards basketball game number two happen. Another one in the books. What a great Saturday that was. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That outreach does not happen without all of its many, many volunteers. And so thank you um, very, very much. Mark chapter 12. We'll begin at verse 38. says this in the word of God. And he said unto them in his doctrine, he being Jesus, beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces, in the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. And Jesus set over against the treasury, and he beheld how many people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto his disciples, and he saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than all they which have cast into the treasury." For all they did cast in out of their abundance, but she, out of her want, cast in all that she had, even all of her living. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for another opportunity to be in your word, for another opportunity to worship you. God, less of me and more of you is what we need. And so I pray that you would speak through me. Sit me down. You stand up and just um, speak your word. Help us to um, be able to interpret your word properly the way that you meant it to be. And I pray that as I preach, you would help me take extra special care to, um, to not be manipulative in any way with your word, but just to preach it as you intended. So meet with us now, Father. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue our series entitled Resolved. And so once again, right, we stated last week and, and even the week before that this entire series resolves around an understanding that, listen, everything has come um, from God and everything belongs to God. 
right? Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwelleth therein. That's, that's pretty encompassing. <laughs> Lest you thought maybe you fit somewhere where that didn't, uh, that is all encompassing. For, for he hath founded it upon the seas, it goes on to say, and established it upon the floods. And the New Testament writers, they agreed with this. John says in, in John 1, 3, all things were made by him. When without him was not anything made that was made. So listen, if, if everything belongs to and has come from God, then that means that he has the right to absolute ownership, right? I mean, it. He made it all, and it all belongs to him, so he technically he owns it all, right? That's why Paul wrote to Colossians, uh, to the church, of, or to the Colossians at the church of Colossae, uh, and you can find it chapter 1, verse 16. It says, for by him all things were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him, and don't miss it and for him. So everything belongs to God because it's all come from God. And therefore he alone has the right to absolute ownership if he so pleases. And that includes the gift, the very gift of life itself as we discussed um, last week. God has blessed us with this sacred trust of life, right? That the breath that we breathe even is his, right? Therefore we ought to be resolved Right? As a congregation, as, as, as Christians, as individuals, even to, to, um, to be champions for the unborn while we um, can like, also pursue those who need to be spiritually reborn. And so obviously, most of us become keenly aware of, the, of the, just the miracle of life the first time that we hold a, a newborn in our arms. Well, there's something about it that's just like, oh man, you are so good, God. And this, this is such a special gift. And there's another special occasion that happens um, during parenting. It's one that I've not experienced from this side yet, um, partly because my little dude's only three, but um, one that I've certainly I've, I've taken advantage of and I'm, I'm even looking forward to, and that's when a parent finds himself giving money to their child in order that they might in return go out and then buy me a, a birthday present or a Christmas present, right? This is, this, is a very, this is a very peculiar feature of parenthood, right? But the irony is, is very hard to miss, right? Like here, you can, you can have this, you can have this thing. It's, it's definitely mine for sure. You didn't earn it. Um, you can have this so you can go there and, and buy this, this thing for me. This is exactly what we find when we consider our relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, right? The idea of God giving and, and providing everything because he's made and he owns everything and then us giving back to him just a portion of what's really his anyways um, in the first place. This comes across clearly um, in David's prayer that he offers to God in anticipation of the temple. And you can find in it in 1 Chronicles 29.10, David writes, he says, um, Wherefore, um, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, blessed 
be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, um, forever and ever. He says, thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and all um, the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. He says, both riches and honor come of thee and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might and in thine hand is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, O God, um, we thank thee, right? We praise thy glorious name. He says, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort for all things come of thee and of thine own we have given thee. He says, listen, everything has come from you, God, and it's a privilege, it's a privilege, he says, that we can, we can just give back what's yours anyways. Like a, like a dad giving his son a gift to go out and buy me a gift. It's all his. And so that same principle compels our entire series, right? God has given us everything, and, and when we give him anything, right, anything that we're able to give back, it's only because he's given it to us in the first place. But don't get this mistaken, right? There's a, there's a distinction that needs to be made. When God blesses us with something, when he gives to us, it's often because there is a need that needs to be fulfilled, right? I need some new socks, or we need some food, or the baby needs diapers, right? But when we give to God, he is in need of nothing, we do not enrich God with our giving, right? He needs, he needs nothing. He doesn't need our money to build his kingdom or his church. Listen, it's important that we get this right on the offset. If we don't, if we get this wrong, and then there's a, there's a call to give or, or a missionary comes and he's presenting his work, or maybe the leadership of the church gets up and they present some sort of need they feel like the Lord has, has kind of led us towards, right? When we present this need, if we get this wrong inside of our minds, we somehow can, can come up thinking that God himself is in need and that somehow we are the key to, to supplying him with something. God owns everything, even our money. And because he, he owns everything, he needs nothing. What the Bible says is that it's a privilege for us to be able to give back to God, to be able to invest in things that are gonna last for an eternity. It's so easy to get sidetracked with what's just right in front of us. Right, but what the Bible says is that Listen, often the things that we're, we're tempted to make the, the center of our attention, our focus, especially when it comes to our investments right now, the things that we want to spend our, our time, our talents, our treasures, our, we invest like in, in terms of our family and our finances, those things are going to pass away. And it's all for naught, right? But the things that we often neglect because we can't see them because sometimes they, you know, it's not necessarily right in front of us. The Bible actually tells us that these things are the things that's going to last forever. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6. He says, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break in or steal. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 4, 18. He says, we, we shouldn't look to the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are just temporal. But the things which are not seen, those are eternal. And so as we're working our way towards our passage this morning, listen, Mark's, Mark's gospel, um, um, we, we find like 
starting in verse 10, sorry, starting in chapter 10, sorry, he has a whole lot to say about money, really from chapter 10 on. Chapter 10, we find the story of the rich young ruler. He seems to be very concerned um, about eternal life. However, um, he leaves his conversation with Jesus sad in part due to the fact that he had much wealth and, and the inclination that scripture gives is that perhaps he had let his wealth become a God to him, right? Little G. Uh, chapter 11, Jesus is overturning the table of the money changers. And again, right in the heart of the chapter is this issue of finance. Chapter 12, we find a dialogue concerning payment of taxes to Caesar. And again, money has entered the chat. And then here in our passage at the end of 12, um, we find money is once again the focus. But I don't want you to get this mistaken. The main point of the text is the contrast between those who serve God um, with hypocrisy and those who serve him with true devotion. Therefore, we ought to be resolved, we should be resolved to live and give genuinely, genuinely. It says this, Mark 12, 37. And the common people heard him gladly, and he said unto them in his doctrine, beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing, and they love salutations in the marketplace. So right in our passage here, Jesus is teaching and he issues a warning. These warnings are very familiar um, in Jesus' teaching. We, we see them all over scripture. Um, his teachings are often in relation to religious hypocrisy, right? And typically we find some of Jesus' most compassionate and most loving words are reserved for the people whose lives are a mess. Yet we find some of his most stinging words, some of his harshest words are reserved for those who are the religious hypocrites. Listen, it's important that you walk your talk. Watch out, he says, or beware for the teachers of the law or the scribes. Why? In part because of the way that they conducted themselves. In the previous chapter, um, um, Mark actually tells us that they sought to kill Jesus because they didn't appreciate um, him coming in and ruining their lucrative temple racket, right? Instead of using the temple for prayer, they were using it for profit. Jesus comes in, he says, this isn't right. You guys have made my father's house a den of thieves. Um, you remember the story, he overthrows the tables. He said, you guys got to get out. And thus they had been looking for a chance to kill him. And Jesus adds, listen, these guys... They love to go in long clothing. They love salutations in marketplaces, in the chief seats in the synagogues, in the uppermost rooms at the feasts. And listen, I, I know you have a preferred seat at the dinner table. This is not what he's referring to, right? This is not, not talking about your pajamas or your bathrobe. He said, listen, um, these guys love to show how significant they are. They love to do a little bit of peacocking, if you will. Their flowing robes, their greetings, their, their best seats. This is indicative of the fact that their lives are, are lives of leisure and, and privilege. And listen, there's nothing wrong with enjoying either of those things. Please don't um, mistake that I'm trying to say that. But when they become the center of our focus, when they become our God, little g, we have an issue. But Jesus said, beware. Side note, when our religious activity is more about recognition from other people instead of true devotion to the Lord, what we do is essentially make ourselves an idol. We rob God of the glory that's rightfully due to him. Now, I'm gonna go to church to make sure so-and-so knows I was there. 
yeah, I want to give this money to make sure so-and-so knows that, you know, I'm doing everything that I need to do for the Lord. I'm going to pray this real long prayer to make sure everybody knows how we're <laughs> Beware. Beware stealing glory from God. There's a story in Acts 12. Maybe you missed it. It happens very quick. Acts 12, 21. And upon a set day, Herod arrayed uh, uh, in royal apparel. He sat upon his throne and he made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout saying, this is the voice of God and not a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him. Why? Because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and he gave up the ghost. Beware. Stealing glory from God, Jesus warned them. He said, beware. They like their long clothing. They're, they're, they're flowing long clothing. They like to be greeted. They like their special seats. They, somebody had better call ahead, right? Make sure the, the VIP table is ready because doctor or professor so-and-so is, is coming to dinner, right? And Jesus says, watch out, beware. They use their position to fulfill their own self-centered ambitions, Right? And that's in part why James, he goes on to say in, in, in his book, right? Um, not many ought to be teachers. Right? Not many because your words are powerful. And these guys are known to take advantage of, of even the most vulnerable. So Jesus goes on to say, verse 40, which devour widows' houses. Beware of these guys. They eat widows' houses. Widows were the most vulnerable, some of the most vulnerable, some of the most in need, right? The loss of a husband meant the loss of security, at least in, in Jewish context, right? And, and, and actually, if we were to continue reading in the New Testament, we find out that not only had they lost their husband, but true widows were ones who had no family left to support them. And these, these, these people that Jesus are warning us of, they, they use their status to prey upon those in a way that would have never happened had their husband been alive. And he goes on to say, and, and, and for pretense or a false display, they make long prayers. He says, these shall receive greater damnation. And so really, this is, this is the context, kind of the, the setting. This is some of the people surrounding our little scene, which is really the focal, focal point of our message this morning. Mark 12, verse 41. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. Jesus finished teaching and he sits down. In the temple complex, in the Herodian temple, you had the court of the Gentiles that surrounded kind of the outside. Anybody could be in the court of the Gentiles, but that is as far as a Gentile could go, right? In fact, there was even a sign warning of the potential consequence of death had a Gentile dared to enter into the next court. Right, the next court, you had the court of women. Again, a Jew, any Jew could be in the court of women. It wasn't just for the women, but that was as far as the women could go. The next court was the court of men, and beyond that was the court of priests, and then the temple itself, the temple proper. We read this, in fact, in Acts 3.1. Now, Peter and John, you remember the story. They, they went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being in the ninth hour, and a certain man who was lame from his mother's womb was carried, and they laid him daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered the temple. The gate that was called Beautiful is the entrance to the court of women. This would be a very strategic spot to be placed if you needed to ask alms in part because that is where the people came to give their offering. That is the treasury. So this is where he sets. 
And there, there's 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles around the walls of the court of women. And here, people would come and drop in their offering. And so Mark tells us, Mark 12, 41, and many that were rich cast in much. Nothing inherently wrong with that. You have more, you ought to be able to give more. Right? They had more, so proportionally they're able to give even more. However, we do know from Scripture um, that often the rich made a big production of their giving. Right? And so kind of the scene a little bit, the city's crowded, perhaps doubled or even more in capacity to help celebrate the Passover. Um, people have come from all over the land, not, not just to prepare for the feast, but also to give their tithes and offerings. And Mark says that many that were rich, they cast in large amounts. How would they have known? I have, I have no way of knowing how much you're giving, right? How would Mark have known? Well, they had no, they had no paper money back then, right? They, you couldn't write a check. You couldn't, you couldn't give online, right? What they were giving was, was coinage, right? And, they, and they're dropping these coins into these trumpet-shaped funnels, which had a collection box at the bottom. And so undoubtedly it made quite the sound as they poured their coins into these trumpets. It's likely, in fact, that this is what Jesus was warning of in Matthew 6 when he said, therefore when thou dost thy, thy alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do. Listen, when we give to the Lord, whether it's of our time, whether it's our talents, whether it's our treasure, right? Anything that we give, we ought to be giving out of a genuine love for God. If there's anything else at the heart of it, you had might as well keep it for yourself. I might get a text from pastor later about that statement. But listen, when we give, it ought to be out of just a genuine love for God and a recognition that says, listen, the Father has given me everything that I have in the first place. So it's a blessing to be able to just to give back a portion of what he's given to me. It's all his. I'm giving uh, to him of his own treasure. He says, I've, I've given you this sacred trust. It's a blessing. Would you be willing to just give me back a little? It's all his. We ought to be resolved to both live and give genuinely. And listen, when it's done with the right perspective, it, it can be a blessing to the Lord, right? Not that he has some need again. We're not fulfilling a need, but because God loves a cheerful giver. And we should be resolved to both live and give generously. In the midst of all this pomp and all this vainglory, in the midst of Jesus' warning, what we find is the most famous monetary donation in all of history. There's none more famous. Perhaps one of the most influential philanthropists that's ever lived, Andrew Carnegie, right? He famously stated, I want to give away um, uh, all, everything, my entire empire before I die. And he gave away an estimated um, $350 million fortune. Now, that was way back when, and uh, they say today that would be approximately $4.8 billion. You know, Forbes estimates that Jeff Bezos' ex-wife, Mackenzie Scott, has donated more than $8.6 billion. Yet we find in Mark 12, 42, that there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. 
The New King James tells us that these two mites, they make a Roman quadrant. That means little to me. I'm guessing it probably means little to you. Commentaries in history tell us, though, um, that what she threw in was a lepta, and it was, um, uh, that would have been Greek. It was uh, a lepta, and it was the smallest, least valuable coin in circulation at the time. Their value, as the NIV puts it, was only a fraction of a penny, about one-eighth of a cent each. Compared to the gifts of the rich man, her her two copper coins seem insignificant. In in studying for this, I I came across a study that says that 2% of Americans admit to simply throwing pennies in the trash. Honestly, if I'm I'm just being transparent, I've probably done it before. Like it was was jingling around, like fell out of my pocket in the car. I'm like, ah, stupid, get this trash out here. I'm tired of it jingling around in my car. I'm just being transparent. And then like in, in in another study, uh, to document Americans' disinterest in the coin, a few years back, new, um, a New York news channel, they dumped 150 pennies on the ground, and over the course of 25 minutes, no one bothered to pick a single one up. Right? Two of the, the smallest, the lightest, least valuable coins in circulation, they would have hardly even made a noise, maybe two small tinks when dropped into the trumpets. Yet they caught the attention of God incarnate. Mark 12, 43, and he called his disciples and he said, look, come, 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 come. I say unto you that this poor widow right here, she, she's cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in their abundance, but she, out of her want, she wanted to, did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Of, of this passage of this topic, um, the pastor of Parkside Church, Alistair Begg, maybe you've, you've heard of him before. He, he, he once said, our giving is, um, is not measured by the sum, but rather by the sacrifice. He goes on to say that our giving is um, not measured by God in the, the strength of the amount, but whether it's viewed proportionately. Pastor and commentator Warren Wearsby wrote, it's not the portion, but the proportion um, that is important. Perhaps you've heard it said this way before. Um, it's not about how much you give, but rather about how much you leave behind. He ought to be resolved to give and to live generously. Right? God, that like, to God, generosity is not measured by the amount of the gift, but rather by the sacrifice. Contextually speaking, listen, this is not long before Jesus gave everything he has to offer to the Father. Right? This is Passion Week. If you remember, right? Sunday, he comes triumphantly. He enters into Jerusalem. Monday, he curses the fig tree and he cleanses the temple. Now, Tuesday, after debating the religious leaders and right before giving his Olivet Discourse, um, we find an example of generosity and devotion that's so genuine. It stands in, in such stark contrast to what had been modeled by the religious leaders that it catches the eye of God himself. Right? This poor widow, she doesn't have much to offer but in their genuine devotion and love for the Lord, she displays the purest instance of devotion and generosity that we have in Scripture. And you find another example of this generosity, right? It's just a page or two over in your Bible on what is likely Wednesday of Passion Week. We read this in Mark 14. It says that after two days, this is verse 1, after two days of Feast of the Passover and of Unleavened Bread, 
The chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft to put him to death, but they said, not on the feast day, um, lest there be an uproar of the people. Well, how kind of you. And, and being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, um, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it over his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves, and they said, um, why was this waste of ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her, 300 pence. Or maybe your version says 300 um, denarii. A year's wages, they estimate. I want you to just close your eyes for a second, right? <laughs> Imagine a year's wages. Right, get that figure. Get, get your annual salary inside of your, before taxes, you cheapskate. <laughs> get that figure in your mind. And now imagine parting with that in an instant. And then capture that feeling that you just felt before you tried to change it. <laughs> I would say that we, much like the disciples, still have some room for growth in this area of generosity. Living, living generously, it's not about how much you give away, but listen, it's about how much we're trying to hoard back for ourselves. That can be a tough statement to wrestle with. The poor widow at the temple, she gave everything that she had. Martha and Lazarus' sister Mary, she does what she could. Right? That's why he says in verse 6 of chapter 14, and Jesus said, leave her alone. Why trouble ye her? She's brought a good work on me, for ye have the poor with you always. Whensoever ye will, ye may do to them good, but me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body um, to the burying. And listen, he says this because on Friday, he's going to hang on the cross and he's going to make the richest deposit into the treasury of the Father that's ever been made. His life. Right? He gives his life. And don't get it mistaken. He laid it down. Nobody took it from him. John 10, verse 18, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I got the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. Jesus gave his life so that he might save yours. Listen, if, if you don't know him today, if you don't have a relationship with him, could you just forget everything I said concerning finances and focus in on this one thing just for a moment? We've all sinned, right? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Skinner used to say, uh, Skinners are sinners. <laughs> I don't have a catchy slogan like that, but that includes me for sure. We've all sinned and come short of his glory. The Bible goes on to say that there's a wage, there's a, there's a payment for that sin. It's, it's earned me something. And what it's earned me is death. And when you take a broader look at Scripture, that death is referring to an eternity separated from God in a, in a place that the Bible itself calls hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He gave his life 
in order to save yours, right? Jesus came to this earth. He put on flesh. He was born of a woman made under the law to redeem, to buy back those that are bound to hell because of their sins, right? He gave his life in order to save yours. He, he died on a cross. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. He conquered death and hell so that you don't have to go there. How do I get saved? How can I spend an eternity with God? Travis, I'm in trouble. I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that I've never called out upon the Lord to save me. I realize that I've never, I've never stopped placing my trust in my own riches or in my ability to do X, Y, or Z, my ability to save myself. I've never um, um, repented of that. God, how, how do I get saved, Travis? Um, Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Right? It says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Who? Who can be saved? Is that me, Travis? You know, I mean, I don't know if you know the things that I've done. I don't know if you know that it's very hard for me to believe that God could ever forgive me and that would ever be interested in a relationship with me. I feel the same way. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever. There's no qualifications there. Right? Listen, we ought to live genuinely as believers in Christ. But we ought to give generously. But if you don't have a relationship with him, forget everything I said. And repent. Repent of your sin, place your faith in Jesus Christ, and you can be saved. No qualifications whatsoever. In just a second, man, they're going to come out. They're going to start playing some music. I'm going to pray. We'll stand up after I pray. We'll enter into a short time of invitation. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord, you can call out upon him. Call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. Don't worry about what to say. Don't, don't worry about um, praying the right words to him. Right? You just call out upon him with a sincere and repentant heart and he will be faithful and just, the Bible says, to forgive you. But if you don't know where to start, you said, Travis, I've never prayed, man. I've never prayed and I'm hurting. My son, my son, if you ask him if he wants to pray over dinner, sometimes, sometimes he'll say yes. Remember, he's three. And so I'll get him going and he gets the countdown. He says, one, two, three, okay, Go. And then we started praying. I say, um, dear God. And he says, dear God. And I said, thank you for this food. And he said, thanks. <laughs> but I, I begin to think, you know what? Sometimes, dear God, it's the hardest part to get out. And son, if you can just keep that dear God, that's going to help you through a whole, whole lot in this life. And listen, if you don't know where to begin, you can come forward, man. We won't embarrass you. There'll be a couple people up front that they love to show you how you can start a relationship with the Lord today. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for just this brief opportunity to dive into just such a, a small portion of scripture. We thank you for, for the widow, for her willingness to give, for this example of, of generosity, for this example of how we ought to both live and give. And so God, help us to adjust our lives accordingly that 
that we might follow the example set forth. God, I pray that if there's one here that doesn't have a relationship with you, God, that if they don't know you, God, that, that they would just run to you, that your spirit would just, would just begin to weigh on them, God, and that they couldn't leave this place until they get that right this morning. God, help us to be real with you over these next few moments as we enter into this invitation. And we pray this in your name. Amen.